Hello and welcome to Guru Please, the show about pushing the limits of life and stepping up to live with more meaning, more purpose, and more passion. I'm your host, Jessica Sun. I'd like to introduce Adam Mendler. Adam is an entrepreneur, speaker, and host of the 30 Minute Mentors podcast. He started the e-commerce companies Beverly Hills Chairs and Custom Tobacco, as well as the technology consultancy Vela's Solutions. He's also a business thought leader and has written on leadership, entrepreneurship, marketing, and sales. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to spend some time with you and with your audience. That's great to hear. So Adam, I wanted to start off by asking you, it sounds like you've really had experience in a lot of different industries and seen the whole gamut of, of the aspects of business from marketing, sales, leadership. What's that like working on such different businesses and industries? It's a lot of fun. I've had jobs and I would imagine a lot of people who are listening who are around my age have probably had jobs where you've had to do the same thing every day. You could almost script what your day would look like. At eight o'clock in the morning, you would do this. And then at 10, you would do that. And lunchtime, it would be this. And you know that to me is incredibly boring. I love the fact that every day is different. Every day, you're doing something different. You're achieving something different. You're accomplishing something different. Today, I get to spend time talking to you, talking to your listeners. Some days, um, recording podcasts. Some days, um, focused on selling chairs. Some days, um, focused on ideating around new business ideas. Most days, I'm doing all of the above, and. To me, that's what makes it fun and that's what makes it exciting. Right. Yeah. Because every day is different and self-directed. Do you have a schedule or do you plan out your week? Tell us about how you structure, you know, day to day or week to week. Yeah. Really good question. I live and die in Google Calendar. I want to make sure that not only do I have a lot going on and a lot to do, but that I'm not overbooking myself. It's important to make sure that you are baking in enough time to get what you need to get done accomplished. So even on days like today, when most of my day is completely booked, if you look at my Google calendar for today, it's virtually all red. There still are some blocks of time that are open because when you have a busy day and when you have a lot of responsibility, Things come up throughout the day that require your attention, and you do need to leave some free time for that. So I do try to keep things structured, but I also try to allow some time to enable me to um, make make up for the fact that um, with all the structure, there are lots of things that will just come up that will require my attention and require my time. So I try to keep a balance. Yeah, it sounds to me like you are very aware of having that work-life balance and allowing for space in between things to do. Sometimes, you know, something comes up and we just find ourselves like swamped with with a lot and and it's almost too much. Have you experienced that and have, how how do you deal with that? 
there are some days when you are absolutely swamped. You just can't let it take over your mindset. You can't let it get the best of you. You have to just keep pushing forward and recognize that no one can be at two places at once. So you have to be as mindful as possible on whatever you're doing. You have to do what you're doing as well as you can. And then when you're done, focus on whatever it is that you're doing next. So I mentioned that today my calendar is virtually all red. My calendar on Thursday, today's Tuesday for reference. So today I have almost entirely booked out. On Thursday, I have my day almost entirely booked out. On Monday, yesterday, I had my day almost entirely booked out. But I left tomorrow almost entirely open. So I have one or two things on my calendar tomorrow, but the rest of the day is completely open. And on days like that, it's not like I spend my day just kind of laying around and not doing anything. Those days are probably more productive than the days that are completely blocked out because those are the days that really give me the opportunity to catch up on everything that I haven't had the chance to get to on the days that I had all blocked out. Phone calls, emails, open projects, creative projects. So tomorrow, I'm excited to have a day where I can really focus on doing all those kinds of things. It sounds like planning for that is a really important part and making sure that that space is there every week. Absolutely. You can't be on the go 24-7, seven days a week. You need to take some time for yourself to recharge. I mean, I think it's really important. We talked about just now about taking time to do the things that you need to do when you're not booked. But in addition to that, you also need to take time to recharge. You need to take time, in my opinion, to work out. You need to take time to get a proper amount of sleep. You need to take time to do the things that you love to do. Now, during this moment of coronavirus, there aren't necessarily as many things accessible to us. The things that I love to do aren't necessarily available right now. I love sports. I love going to angel games. I'm a big baseball fan. I don't have that right now. But in normal times, I think it's really important to make time for your hobbies. I think it's really important to make time for yourself. You do need to have a work-life balance. You do need to take the time to recharge your batteries because if you don't, you're going to burn out. Absolutely. Well, let's bring it back to, you know, you mentioned in the beginning, the the schedule that happens when you have a job. Tell me what led you to start your own companies? Was it because you didn't like that structure or, or was it something else? It definitely went deeper than the structure. I was at a point in my life when I felt like if I was ever going to do something entrepreneurial, it was at that moment in time. It was at that very point in my life. I was 28. I had worked for two really big companies in the financial services industry. I had interned for two really big companies in the entertainment industry. I felt like I had gotten the flavor for life in corporate America, kind of knew what it was like to work for big companies. And if ever there was going to be a time for me to start my own, it was then. My energy was never going to be higher. My expenses were never going to be lower. If I waited five or six years, I don't know that I would have had the courage to go and take the leap. 
It may have been too comfortable for me to go, but it was just the right time for me to do it. And I did it. I dove in head first and I haven't looked back. Interesting. How did you know at that very time that it was the right time? Was something changing or happening? I think that time for everyone is going to be different. I think that anyone and everyone you talk to is going to have a different set of feelings that points them to the decision to take the entrepreneurial leap. Whatever set of circumstances drive someone to start their own business is going to be unique to them, but there are certain commonalities. So for me, I felt like I was doing things that weren't necessarily the kinds of things that were most passionate to me. I wanted to make more of a difference. I wanted to do something that would bring more meaning to other people. I wanted to really make more of an impact. And I felt like starting my own business would give me that opportunity. Really in building the Velos Group, my goal was to be able to create a culture and create a company that would bring a lot of joy and happiness to others. Initially, the vision was, let's start a company and let's bring on a lot of people. We started off by bringing on a lot of interns, so bringing on a lot of college students and giving them a place where they could really learn and grow and get the kind of experience that I wish I would have had as an intern. And I actually did have uh, in a couple of internships and really empower people, the people who we hired early on, give them the keys to the car and set them up in a way where they can really become their best selves and thrive and grow and learn and do the things that, that, that they would want to be doing, that we would want to be doing. And, you know, it was very almost, I don't know if your listeners can kind of feel this in the way that I'm describing it, it was really almost a, an idealistic um, sense in me that, that drove me to do this. In everything we've done, we've really had this sense of doing it with our heart, doing it with passion. And I've been very proud to help different people that we've served through our different businesses. Even just take our office furniture company. You're selling office chairs. Our company is called Beverly Hills Chairs. You go to beverlyhillschairs.com. You can buy Herman Miller Aeron chairs that normally cost $1,200. We sell them refurbished for five dollars to $600 a chair. When you start an office furniture business and you run an office furniture business, you might not necessarily think that, how are you bringing happiness to people's lives by selling chairs? Well, in actuality, mm. just seeing the joy in our customers' faces, hearing the joy from customers who buy from us who, when we don't see their faces, people love these chairs. People love what we sell them. It changes their entire work experience, being able to sit in a chair that you love being able to spend hours and hours a day sitting in a Herman Miller Aeron chair that you can afford instead of whatever you were sitting on before. It changes you. And to be able to touch so many different lives in that way is really cool to me. And that's just one example. Uh, my writing, my speaking, my podcast, these are all different ways that I really try to make a positive impact in the lives of others. And it all comes back to starting the Velos Group. When I was working for a big company, I felt like I was a cog in the machine. And 
by being an entrepreneur, I felt like I could really make a difference and make an impact. It makes a difference. When you said that, I, I could feel the chair I'm sitting <laughs> in, you know. I do want to know how how did you transition into entrepreneurship? You said you took a, a dive. You just went in head first and, and quit working. How, how did that play out? Yeah. Sometimes when you dive into the pool, you bang your head. And uh, that was kind of what happened with us. We spent our first year and a half. It was a really fun experience. We took all these ideas that we had and had this vision of creating a company where we could incubate all of our different business ideas and started pushing on 10 different ideas at once. It was so much fun. We brought in all these college students who were really smart and talented, and it was just a really fun experience. But after about a year and a half, we burned through all of our savings, which isn't a good thing. And it's especially not a good thing when you're a bootstrap business. If you're a venture-backed business, you know your metrics are a little bit different. But when you're running bootstrap businesses, you need to be bringing money in. And we weren't. We were distracted by this idealistic vision of building out all of our different ideas. And after a year and a half, we really learned the importance of focus. We really learned the importance of discipline. We really learned the importance of prioritization. We prioritized the two businesses that were closest to making money, which at the time were our office furniture concept, which wanted to become Beverly Hills chairs, and our cigar concept, which wanted to becoming custom tobacco. We really honed in on those two concepts, turned them into companies that have become national businesses that service customers all across America, in the case of Beverly Hills chairs, all across the world. And it definitely did not happen overnight. There were lots of growing pains, but it was really the ability to stay positive, stay focused, and stay resilient that enabled us to get to where we've been able to get to. Right. As you burn through your savings, I mean, I imagine that's a pretty challenging time and one where you do need to start making some choices. I don't recommend it. <laughs> it really puts you in a, in a corner or at least it puts you in a position to make a change. Totally. Was that one of your most challenging times or were there other challenges along the way? There are many challenges along the way. There are always challenges along the way. That was definitely a huge challenge. That was a come to Jesus moment. And I'm Jewish, so for me to have a come to Jesus moment is especially <laughs> significant. But businesses are always faced with challenges. Think about the moment we're in right now. We're facing a crisis that none of us could have envisioned. None of us had heard of coronavirus until it hit us smack in the face. And here it is. We have no choice but to deal with it. We talked a little bit about Beverly Hills Chairs, and that's a great example of the importance of being willing to pivot, being willing to adapt, being willing to face change and manage change. So before coronavirus, Beverly Hills Chairs was largely selling to small to medium-sized businesses all across the country. We were selling to financial services companies, tech companies lots of companies in the entertainment industry, you name it. When coronavirus came, companies closed. Yeah, everyone's now working from home. So companies aren't buying chairs anymore. Companies are, you know, aren't letting people come into work. So 
that business has gone away. But what's happened is people who are now working from home are realizing that they need chairs to sit in because their home is now their office. And when your home is your office, you need to start by ensuring that you're productive and sitting in the right chair. Our customer base has completely shifted from small to medium-sized businesses buying from us to individuals who are now buying chairs for themselves for their home offices. You know, like the other day, I got a text message from one of my employees saying, we just sold 12 chairs. Three weeks ago, we just sold 12 chairs would mean we just got an order from a company. Now we just sold 12 chairs means I said, oh, okay, I take it. That means we just sold 12 chairs to 12 different customers. I said, yeah, 12 different customers. Wow. Yeah, that's the, the difference. So you just have to pivot. You have to adapt. And it's a big lesson that any entrepreneur, any leader, anyone in business needs to take to heart, particularly in moments like these. Right. Now is the time for leaders to step up and manage not just the situation, but I'd say even people's emotions and, and their own emotions. And I wanted to talk with you about leadership and how the principles of business apply to our personal lives also. What's your definition of leadership? To me, leadership is about the impact that leaders have on the lives of others. Leadership is not about you. It's about the people you lead. It's about the people you impact. The most important thing that leaders need to understand is that they have a significant impact on anyone and everyone in their orbit. As soon as leaders understand and recognize that when they have the responsibility of leading teams, leading people, leading organizations, it's not about them. It's about you. It's about us. It's about we. It's about the greater good. They're much better positioned to take that team to a better place. And it sounds like it, it's a lot of taking responsibility for yourself and for others around you. Do you find that what you learn in business translates into life also? 100%, 110%. One of the things that I talk a lot about is the importance of leading your own life. People will oftentimes hear the word leadership and associate it with business mm -hmm. and think, what do I need to know about leadership? I'm not a CEO. I'm not a manager. I don't lead people professionally. This topic is not relevant or important to me. That couldn't be any more wrong. Everyone needs to become a better leader. Everyone needs to understand how to become a better leader. Everyone is a leader and everyone has the capacity to be a leader in their life in some form or another. Whether you're a leader in your business or whether you're a leader of your household, you could be a leader of your family, maybe you're a husband or a wife, or maybe you're a sibling and you're the leader of your brothers and sisters or the leader of your cousins, or you could be a leader in your community. You could be a leader in your synagogue or church or mosque, or you could be a leader of your softball team or basketball team, whatever nonprofits you're on. You don't need to be the head of the organization to be a leader. You could be someone who walks into a grocery store and sees a situation that requires a leader to step in and manage it and diffuse it. It's important for anyone and everyone to understand how to become a better leader and to embrace core principles of great leadership. 
Yeah, what you just said reminds me of the concept of the bystander effect, which is if somebody needs help, say, and there's 10 people gathered around, everyone assumes that somebody else is going to call 911. And what you're saying is be the person who stands up. How can we look for opportunities like that? How can we take it upon ourselves and take that first step to seeing ourselves as a leader? I think the first step is within. To most effectively lead others, you need to first be able to lead your own life. You need to first be able to lead yourself. The leadership journey starts with a process of self-discovery. That first step is understanding who you are, what you're good at, what you're bad at, what you're great at, doing a very deep dive into who you are as a person. All great leaders are people who are deeply comfortable in their own skin, are people who thoroughly understand their capabilities and thoroughly understand their weaknesses. Anyone and everyone interested in becoming a better leader needs to start there. Take the time to figure out who you are as a person, and that will serve you really well. To know yourself, right? Absolutely. To develop self-awareness. Yeah. What drives you right now? What kind of impact are you looking to make? And what's your big reason, like your big motivating force? We talked about it a little bit. I really am motivated every day. I wake up raring to go. It's something that I'm very fortunate to have. You know, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I'm someone who just ha has that outlook. In, er in anything and everything I do, it's really about trying to make a positive impact. How am I positively impacting as many people as I can? Trust me, I am by no means the world's most altruistic person. I have a lot of shortcomings. I have a lot of flaws. We all do. But I do think it's really important to find work that you're passionate about, to find work that is meaningful, and to find work that can really make a difference in the lives of others. And that's really what I've tried to focus on. The most recent thing that I've been focused on is my podcast, 30 Minute Mentors. And that's really a platform that enables me to try to reach as many people as possible in 30 minute increments. Every week I'm bringing on a really, really successful, whether it's a CEO or founder of a household name company, it could be a major celebrity or athlete, it could be general or admiral, bringing on someone who's made it, calling their best advice and wisdom on how they got to the top, but more importantly, how listeners can get to the top as well. Really trying to make accessible the best network of mentors possible. So that's something that I'm really passionate about and something that I've been particularly focused on of late. Can you give us some examples of the wisdom that you've called? It's, it's a hard question to answer in a concise time frame because every person I've interviewed has given such extraordinary advice. But what I try to do is I try to take away at least one or two things from each episode that I can apply to my own life, my own business. The episode that I did that was released today on my podcast was with a retired general named Reynold Hoover. And General Hoover shared so much wisdom with me 
and with my audience. But one of the things that he said to me that stood out was he said, always sit in a different seat. Never sit in the same seat. And hmm. well, what does that mean? Well, when you're in school or when you are at, let's say you, let's say you go to attend a religious service or let's say you, you know, I love baseball. I go to a baseball game and I always sit in the same seat. His advice was anytime you're in a meeting, sit in a different seat because you're going to have a different perspective. You're going to see things differently when you sit in a different seat. If you're used to sitting in the front of the room, one day sit in the back, one day sit in the middle, one day sit in the corner. And I, I responded to him. I said, that is such great wisdom because in business school, when I got my MBA, we had assigned seats. They sat us in the same spot every time. And General mm -hmm. Hoover is right. You do sort of see things the same way. You're seated around the same people. You build kind of the same relationships. But if you sit in the front of the room, you're going to see things a little bit differently. If you sit in the back of the room, you're going to see things a little bit differently. I never would have thought of that. I mean, sit in a different seat, but it's it's such tremendous wisdom that you could apply. It's a nugget that you could apply. I'll give you another one from one of my first interviews was with the CEO of Deloitte Consulting, Dan Helfrich. And I asked Dan a question toward the end of the interview. And when I asked him the question, the question was something along the lines of, you know, Dan, what advice do you have for listeners, yada, yada, yada? And I used the words um, under you. I said something to the effect of, how do you most effectively lead the people under you? And mm -hmm. he said, he, he kind of jumped on me in a very nice way, but he jumped on me and he said, I don't ever view anyone as under you. I view myself as a captain and we're all on the same team. We're all equals. No one's under me. Even just using the terminology under you is problematic and will, will affect your thinking and will affect your leadership. And it was such interesting feedback. It was such interesting insight. I obviously never thought of it that way because I asked him the question. It was a very innocuous question, but just the terminology under you connotates a sense of superiority that Dan doesn't want his team feeling. He wants his team feeling like he's a peer. And the truth is, as a leader, I try as hard as I can to empower everyone on my team. I try to do everything that I can to bring out the best in each and every person in my organization. But mm -hmm. I can always do better. I can always learn. I can always grow. That's one great example of it. That's a really fascinating tidbit. And it's it has to do with language, but it really has to do with how we think of it and how we perceive the situation. The point about change where you sit it's it's a great metaphor for kind of shifting your perspective slightly, seeing it from somebody else's point of view. Do you find that you've had to adapt in your businesses with, you know, changing workforce and 
millennials coming in and how differently each generation works? It's a really good question. I feel like I've had an advantage over others because I am a millennial. I'm an old millennial in that, but technically I'm a millennial. So I've understood millennials. I understand Generation Z. I've written articles about what leaders should know about millennials, what leaders should know about Generation Z. I think it's really important for anyone and everyone who's in a leadership role to recognize that everyone is different and everyone should be treated differently, not to make assumptions, not to walk in the room with your mind already made up. People who, leaders who are open-minded, who are flexible in their thinking, who are adaptable, talked about it a little bit before in terms of adaptability in your business model, the importance to adapt how you think about the markets, the importance of adapting in moments of crisis when you're selling to one customer group and now you need to sell to another customer group. That same philosophy needs to be applied to how you think about leadership and how you think about management. You need to be nimble. You need to be flexible in your approach to management. I've found that millennials and Gen Zers, by and large, require a different touch than you know Gen Xers or baby boomers. Not that it's better or worse, but it, but it's different. And I think that leaders just need to understand it and need to be open to it and need to be willing to adapt their style to the needs of the people who they lead. I want to flip that a bit and say, well, what can millennials uh, and younger do to to help those leading them? I, I think it's the same answer, but framed a little bit differently. So I think it's really important to always try to see things from the perspective of the other party. So we all approach every situation with a unique perspective that's shaped by the experiences that we bring to the table. I approach problems a certain way. I approach situations a certain way. And I think it's important not to assume that every single person is going to approach things the same way that I do. Because at the end of the day, I am a, a byproduct of my set of experiences. I'm a byproduct of my background, of my parents, of the values that were instilled in me growing up. My experiences in school, my experiences in the workforce, my experiences as an entrepreneur. And that's how each and every one of us is. And I think that it's extremely important for every single person to have sensitivity to the perspectives of each and every person around them. So millennials, Gen Zers should have that same sensitivity to whomever it is that is managing them. Whoever is managing them could, could be a fellow millennial or fellow Gen Z. I actually did an interview with, uh, it hasn't been released yet, but I did an interview with the co-founder of Square, and his name is Jim McKelvey. 
he hired Jack Dorsey as a teenager. And Jack Dorsey was a superstar when he was a teenager working for Jim and Jim's company. Now, Jim recognized that, gave Jack leeway, gave Jack rope, actually had lots of people reporting to Jack, even though he was a kid, he was a high school kid, but he didn't make judgments. He didn't, he didn't uh, say that this guy's a kid. He can't do this. He can't do that. He kept a very open mind. He was very respectful of Jack's talent and the rest is history. And at the end of the day, I think it's extremely important to be as respectful as possible and as understanding as possible. And I think that that will lead to a more harmonious and more fruitful relationship on both ends. I like how you worded that as a sensitivity. To me, that means, you know, really thinking about other people and being aware and sensitive, sensing how they feel, trying to understand where they're coming from and why they do what they do. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, we are byproducts of our circumstances and surroundings. And there's a reason for why we are how we are, right? Absolutely. I wanted to wrap up with, do you have any recommendations on books or anything that you find useful, like an app, anything like that? I, I, re I recommend a set of books that your listeners may not otherwise hear from your typical leadership or business speaker. I tend to steer people who ask me this question toward a different set of books. Have you read any books written by David Halberstam? David Halberstam is my favorite writer, as great a writer as there's been in my view. And he wrote The Best and the Brightest. He's written many great books, but start with The Best and the Brightest. The Best and the Brightest is required reading for anyone who wants to become a better leader, for anyone who wants to become more successful, for anyone who wants to really learn and grow. The Best and the Brightest is the story of how we as a country got into the Vietnam War. And you might be wondering, why is Adam Mendler talking to this podcast audience about why the United States got into the Vietnam War? Well, if you read The Best and the Brightest, you will really learn and understand so much about leadership. You will really learn so much and understand about management, about pitfalls of what goes on when you run a, in, an organization and um, how as a leader and how as a manager, you need to think through different scenarios and adapt uh, accordingly. So one of the greatest books ever written, certainly a book that I highly recommend to all listeners. That's a really unique recommendation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And to our listeners, do check out Adam's podcast, 30 Minute Mentors, where he interviews accomplished leaders from a variety of professions. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. This was really enjoyable.